Good to be with you guys this morning. If you're new or visiting, Merry Christmas. Glad you're here. My name's Tyler. I'm one of the pastors here at the Austin Stone. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we'll be in various texts today. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. It'll be on the screen behind me throughout the entire service. Um, we're, we've actually, for those of you who are new, we've been going through the, the Gospel of Matthew for some time. We're gonna be taking a break from that for the next couple of weeks because this Sunday we wanted just to slow down and consider in more detail and more depth what God was doing when he sent Jesus to us. I mean, and that's the point, I don't you ever thought about this, but the point of Sunday services is for the entire church, every single week on the day, on the same day of the week that Jesus rose from the dead, for us to gather together and to slow down a little bit and be reminded and sing songs and hear the word of God preached to go, wait, who is God and who am I in light of him? What has he called me to? In the midst of every week we gather together, every Sunday, to slow down, to contemplate, to consider who is God and who has he made me to be and what has he called me to. And this is especially true in December because there's so much going on. As you get to the end of the year, you're wrapping up projects at work, you're going to party on party on party, right? You are finishing up plans and you're getting ready to travel or you're getting ready to host and you're stressing out about who's gonna sleep where and is this gonna be nice enough and here they come with their expectations and all that drama that starts happening. And what can happen is in the midst of this, it gets so busy that we forget what the point is. That's what I wanna do today. I wanna slow down and just look for a second and go, wait, what is God up to in all of this? And all of us have different traditions that we partake in. All of us have different expectations for this season. And even those of us who maybe you're here and you don't believe in Jesus, or maybe you know people, who family members who are coming in who don't believe in Jesus. And even if you don't believe in him, there's all sorts of traditions and faiths that are being celebrated during this season. Almost everyone in our country at some level is celebrating something or commemorating something. And what's, what's common for everybody, no matter what you believe, is we're all interacting with family and we're all interacting with this concept or this sense of home. All of us are coming to contact of what does it mean to have family and what does it mean to have a home? And this is the season where you're reminded again and again of the profound power and significance and complications and pain of family and home. See, for so many of us, this is a, this nostalgic time where you're reminded that where you grew up who you grew up with, who raised you, has shaped you more than anyone for better and for worse. See, what happens during this season is old memories of nostalgia congeal with current realities and you're left feeling all sorts of emotions all over the spectrum. So sometimes Christmas is all that you wanted it to be. You had this vision of what it would be like and people would open presents and they'd have thankful hearts and go, I love you, I love you too. Like you have this, these moments where you're gathered around and you're going, this is what I wanted it to be. But sometimes you'll have experiences where Christmas leaves you more sad than you realized, more disappointed than you wanted. Sometimes you go into Christmas with anxiety and stress because you know there are issues that have not been resolved. You know there are wounds that have not fully healed. And other times Christmas is honestly just not that eventful. You kind of wonder what all the fuss was about. And through all of these, the gamut of emotions we go through over Christmas, we're all still drawn, strangely enough, to family, though. 
We're all drawn to wanna be around family or wrestle with our understanding of what home is and where we relate to all of these things. And even the pain and even the hurt associated with family and home tells you how much you long for it. If it wasn't valuable, you wouldn't be sad that it's gone. Hurt and pain even speak to the value of family and home. And honestly, the longer that I'm alive, the more valuable a sense of family and home becomes to me. Like when you're younger, you take it for granted, but as you get old, and I'm so old now, as you get older, mid-30s, guys, as you get older, you begin to realize, no, these things are really valuable. But also as you get older, you begin to realize, if you haven't already realized it already, that family is often complicated and home is often associated with more pain. That's what happens the longer that you live. See, for me, my earliest, my earliest memories of Christmas were honestly sweet and joyful. Some of the best memories of my life. I mean, my earliest memories of Christmas are me getting a beanbag chair and it being destroyed in 25 minutes. It was awesome. Sorry, mom, cleaning that up. Okay, here we go. Like, that's what it was like. Or getting a windbreaker suit. I'm just like, just like speed walking all day, right? Or, or waking, me and my cousins waking up my, our parents way too early because we wanted to open up presents at 5.45 a.m. And that was most of my life. Most of my life, uh, Christmas was full of great memories for me. It was the first time that I met Lauren's family and played bingo with them, and that's their tradition that they do on Christmas. And I loved it, but then over the last five years, I began to experience what so many of you have known much longer than me, is that instead of Christmas highlighting the gift that family is, it began to highlight how fragile it is to sin and suffering. It began to highlight that this thing that was a gift, that this love that we thought we shared, Christmas showed that, oh, our love isn't as strong or as warm as it used to be. That time and distance and sin and hardened hearts had slowly begun to bring a dim sort of shine to the love that we had experienced before. Fresh hurts and fresh wounds soured the occasion where now it's hard to be in the same room with certain people with any sort of sincerity. Where you're reminded that there are hurts and there are sorrows that go too deep and are too severe to maintain what had been. When you're reminded that death honors no season and Christmas just is not the same without your grandfather or grandmother there. Not the same without them there. See, in all the joys and in all the sorrows of this season, listen, you can't help but long for family and home. You can't help but do it. It's hardwired into you. Who you are is rooted in your sense and your identity of what family and home are. Like you can't understand your story and what you feel and your expectations and your desires and your dreams if you don't understand what family and home mean to you. You can't help but long for it. And you don't realize how valuable they are until they're affected by the brokenness and dysfunction in us and in others and in the world. See, the Christmas story is important for all sorts of reasons because it was God becoming man. We'll never understand all that is going on in the Christmas story. But we don't think about the fact often that Jesus himself was born into the same realities of home and family as you are. He's born into the same realities that you and I are. So Jesus grew up with a family. Jesus had a hometown. 
He had a mother and an adoptive father and brothers and sisters and cousins and people who had known him his entire life. And he did all of that because he wanted to give you a better hometown and a better family. That's why he did it. He comes into your experience to give you something better, to be pointers to where he's taking you and taking me. So before we dive into Jesus' experience of home and family, you need to remember he already had a home and family. He already had a home, he already had a family. Before Jesus was born to Mary and Joseph in that stable, he already had this eternal, infinite, loving relationship of belonging and home and family and glory with God the Father and God the Spirit. See, it's fascinating, as Jesus is praying in front of his disciples in John 17, he's about to be crucified, and he's praying in front of them, showing them how to pray, what to hope for, what to expect, In his prayer, he has this line where he makes it clear he's longing to go back home. John 17, five. This is Jesus praying. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. He says, I can't wait to come back home. I can't wait for the glory and the standing that I've had in eternity past with you. It's important for you to notice when God shows us who he is in the Bible, he reveals who he is, the language he uses to describe the Trinity is familial in nature. God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit. The essence of the Trinity relationship, the essence of the triune God is family. Those are not arbitrary titles he just happened to pick. He's saying that's what he is like. And in this family is defined by love and joy and delight in the others. Listen to how God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit relate to each other. Here's what their family is like. God the Father loves the Son. Matthew three seventeen, And behold, a voice from heaven said, God the Father spoke, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. He loves his son. And then God the son loves the father. John 14, 31. Listen to what Jesus says. But I do as the father has commanded me. Why? So that the world may know that I love the father. He loves his dad. And then God the spirit, you know what he does? He is the one who communicates the love of God between father and son and to us. Romans 5, 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's through the Holy Spirit God communicates his love to himself and to us. This is the only family he had ever known. Infinite, eternal, holy joy and delight and wonder and love. And yet he humbled himself to know what your family is like. He left that family so he could know what your family and my family is like with all of its joys and all of its sorrows and all of its complicated layers. See, Christmas is the story of God shared in the very beginning of your story in the womb. He didn't come down as a man. He started at the very beginning of your story in the womb. The difference is his mom's a virgin. Your mom wasn't, no matter what she says, right? Merry Christmas. Um, Talk about that on the way home. Um, He's born just like you, but that's not 
where it stops. What's fascinating with his experience is just like yours. He knows what it's like to grow up and mature and still have parents that he has to listen and submit to. Listen to Luke 2, verse 51. It says, and he, talking about Jesus, he was 12 years old, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. The son of God, looking at his mom and dad, thinking, I am the son of God. I kind of know more than you, but I'll listen, right? 12-year-old doesn't need much uh, leash to disobey, right? Yeah, here's Jesus submitting to them, and his mother treasured up all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He knows what it's like to mature and go through puberty. He knows your story. Not only does he know what it's like to be human, he also knows what it's like to experience the rejection and the hurt of that same family. Mark 3.20. And then he, Jesus, went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. Look at verse 21. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying, He is out of his mind. He knows what it's like. This is the calling of his life. And those who've known him the longest are the first to say he's out of his mind. He knows what it's like to be rejected by those closest to you. He also knows what it's like for your hometown people to be vindictive towards you when you're not who they want you to be. Matthew 13, verse 53 And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Are not all his sisters here with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. He knows what it's like for his hometown not give him the freedom to change or be different than what they wanted him to be. And even more than that, at the end of Jesus' life, he is dying for sin on the cross. He says seven things. He says seven things from the cross. And you know what the son of God suffering for the sin of the world says from the cross? One of the seven, taking care of his mom. He wants to make sure that his mom knows he loves her and that he wants to take care of her even after he's gone. John 19, 26. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. He's dying for our sins and he's concerned that Mary's taken care of. He knows the commitment and the complications of family. He knows your experiences firsthand. The fact that Jesus himself, that God in the flesh, partook of family, partook of a hometown, it brings dignity and worth and honor to those things. They're not small things. If God himself partakes in something, he gives honor and worth and dignity and value to it. It is as good and as valuable as it seems. 
That means family, those things are worth fighting for. They're worth striving for even when you don't want to. And that's why brokenness and pain and hurt and sorrow in the midst of family goes so deep. That's why it goes so deep. The hurt and the loss of family, it's some of the most traumatic things you can go through. It'll shape you for the rest of your life. You see, the more I get the privilege, and it is a privilege, to be one of the pastors of this church and walk alongside of people through the worst seasons of their life, I get to see again and again firsthand the power of home and family in our stories, especially when those experiences of home and family are marred by rejection and loss and mocking, and letdown, and abuse. See, so much of our dysfunction and our sin find their beginnings and are attempting to cope with the ways we've been sinned against or suffered when we're young. So much of our sin and dysfunctions is us being wounded by other people and then scrounging and clawing and fighting to find some way to make sense of what happened to us or what we went through. So from the passing words of disappointment or disapproval from your parents, from the mocking of friends or family, to the death of someone who's close or you love, to egregious abuse, these things shape us, they drive us, and as sweet and as good as family is and is supposed to be, they're often overwhelmed by memories of being mistreated and rejected. And they drive us, and they define us, And if we're not careful and we don't go to God, they'll end up destroying us because what will happen is they'll become the grounds that we use to justify our sin. And what does our sin towards God do? Hurt us and hurt other people. And thus the cycle continues. They become opportunities for us to distrust and disobey. Listen, this is true when you're a child, but it's still true when you're you're an adult. Home and family never stop affecting you. And one of the biggest things I've learned about myself over the last five years is how true this is for me. I've just learned that so much of my just insatiable drive to succeed and be strong is rooted in so many ways of hurt I experienced as a kid. It's me trying to protect and make sure that I'm not taken advantage of because I know what it's like to feel at the disposal of other people and to feel powerless. And so what I did, instead of trusting God to protect me, I protected me. Instead of trusting God to use the church or other people to protect me, I said, I'll go it alone, I'll take care of me, and I don't care what I have to do to do it. That's what I did. Because I wanted to protect myself and not trust God. And as I mentioned earlier in the sermon, as my family started to go through a rough patch over the last five years or so, and a lot of things were going on, I found myself doing the exact same things. It's so fascinating. I'm 28 years old at the time, and I'm doing the same things I did when I was 13. But I'm 28, so I'm more sophisticated about it, Right? I didn't go out and buy a puka shell necklace or anything like that, right? I I knew what to do. So I put up higher walls. I made the people who could know me 
in intimate ways made it even more difficult for that to happen. Why? I didn't trust God to protect me. You know what happened? You know what Christmas did during those seasons? It just highlighted all that that I felt. It took this sweet memory that I had and became something altogether different. What had been joyful was now stressful to me. And I wonder what this season is like for you. Like I wonder where you're at. I'm sure there are some of you thinking, wow, you were really bumming me out about Christmas, Tyler. You're like, I came here for like a pep talk and an attaboy, maybe some hot chocolate and maybe a pastor joke and get out of here, right? Like, and, and honestly, if, if you're sitting here thinking, man, my, is, my Christmas seems pretty good. Is everyone okay? Like you're looking down the row, right? Like, are you, everyone fine, right? Like if, if it's a sweet Christmas, honestly, enjoy it. It won't last forever, right? Just kidding. Um, <laughs> soak it up. Because you should enjoy those Christmases because I think sometimes we want Christmas more than we want to admit. We just want the, the, the Christmas card. We want the veneer and we're like, hey, listen, baby Jesus is smiling, so are you. Perk up, right? Like that's what we want. We want this idea, this veneer of Christmas. And listen, if it's sincere, that's fantastic. But you have to know that's not everybody's experience. And just because they're smiling at you doesn't mean you know them. Just because you shared a meal doesn't mean you asked a good question. Maybe for some of you, Christmas, you're already anxious about it. You're already thinking about that, what you said, and you regret saying that on the phone. You know what you said, you know you're passive aggressive and you're sad you said it. Maybe you were quiet when you shouldn't have been. Maybe there's all this anxiety because you know Here we go. You know what it feels like family and home right now for you are not safe havens and a refuge. They're complicated and they have pain. So maybe you're even numbing yourself now in all the various ways we do that. Here's the good news. Jesus is familiar with your pain. He knows what it's like to see those who should receive him and those who who should be a refuge and it not be that way. John 1.10 says, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Verse 11, this verse, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Those who should have received him with open arms are those who pushed him away the quickest. He knows what it's like. He knows personally the hurt of hometown and family but he doesn't just merely come to empathize with you. He's come to set you free. His ministry begins in empathy, but it does not end there. He's come to blaze a different trail to show you he's the only way to true healing. See, he was rejected, he was hurt, but unlike us, his hurt, his rejection did not become an opportunity to distrust and disobey God. It became an opportunity for him to dive deeper into the Father's love. That's why Jesus is like nobody else. That's why he should be king. Because when he's hurt and he's rejected, he doesn't cope with sin. He copes by going to his father in faith. Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, just like you, same family experience as you, yet without sin. He was sinless and full of perfection so he could rescue you. 
so it could give you a better way. And listen, Jesus doesn't just rescue you with a general, vague, sort of mystical salvation that you don't really know what it means or looks like or feels like. His kingdom has specific promises and tangible, gritty love and eternal life that turns you into fully human as you were created to be. And one of the main, I love this, one of the main aspects in the New Testament of our salvation that is repeated over and over again by the apostles is this idea that in Christ, you now have a new family and a new sense of home. For the Christian, family and home are turned upside down. God does not come with you of warnings about wanting too much. He's not come to you with stern words saying, you should tone it down a little bit with your desires. He never does that. He always comes to you and says, you are expecting way too little. Your dreams are way too small. He wants to explode categories. He doesn't just wanna make your earthly family a little bit better, even though the world's still defined by sin and decay and death. He wants to bring you to a family and a home that lasts forever, that can't be taken away, that death can't touch. Listen to what Jesus says in John 14, 23. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And this last phrase, and we will come to him or her and make our home with him. Listen to that language. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Through Jesus, your new family is God himself. Through Jesus, God, the Father, moves from your creator and judge to your own personal loving father. See, Christmas is a time where um, most dads, typically on our best behavior, probably doesn't get any better than this, hopefully. And at this season, if you see If you ever see a father, especially with young children, a father being playful, laughing, holding his kids, talking to his kids with affectionate tones, holding his kids as as they're crying, do you know why God made fathers and children to teach you what he's like? That's why dads who are absent and not caring make it so difficult for us to understand how God is a father, and I get that. But even if you don't have one, when you see a good one happening in front of you, that's meant to be God saying, that's what I'm like with you. And you see the tenderness and you see the warmth and you see the compassion, you see the kindness. That's what I'm like to you now if you're in Christ. But not only that, not only does God the Father become your father, God the Son becomes your older brother and your king and leader. He now relates to you and models for you and gives you a righteousness and a work you don't possess on your own. And not only that, God the Spirit becomes your power and your counselor. So now wherever God is, that's where you are, and wherever you are, that's where God is because the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. And not only that, now the people of God become not just people you attend church with, but brothers and sisters forever. So now the church become a family that can understand you at a level even your biological family can't. If you're a Christian, you've had that experience. Where you begin to relate to other Christians at a level you struggle to relate to your own biological family who don't believe in the G- our Jesus. 
you get this family. Jesus entered into a family in a hometown on Christmas. Why? He wanted to give you a better one. He wanted to give you a longer lasting one, the one you'd always wanted. But listen, it's still not in its fullness yet. It would be disingenuous for me to act like all of God's promises have come to fruition because they have not. It's so easy for Christians and for preachers to act as if, and he's given everything to you. Well, in a sense, he has. If you're in Christ, are you a full daughter or son of God? Absolutely. If you're in Christ, is the, is the church your family now forever? Absolutely. But there are a lot of promises that God has made that have not been seen in their fullness yet. That's the tension of the Christian life. That's the tension of Christmas. It's Jesus shows up and makes a lot of promises. And some of them we are still waiting on to see in all of their glory. See, Christmas should not just be a time where we look back and think about how he came, but the fact that he came should make us look forward to he's gonna come again. And he won't come as a meek and mild child. He'll come as a king with promises in his hands to fulfill. That's what he'll come and do. Because when you look to the future, when you think about your life, and Christmas is this time where you're introspective and reflective and think about the future of the next year, you should be thinking about his second coming when the family of God will finally be reunited in love with God forever. When God gave the disciple John a vision of the life to come, what you see, it's so fascinating. God is coming back to us with what? A new home, a new family. Revelation 21, verse two. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, our new hometown, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Family language again. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place, the home of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people, his family, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things, old hometowns, old families have passed away. When this holiday season is so meaningful and so refreshing and you have those moments where your heart is just, you wanna burst and you, you just, you wanna capture like this moment, you wanna capture this meal, you wanna capture this situation because it's such, it's everything you wanted. Just for a second, let your mind drift a little bit and say, if this is what it's like here, what will it be like then? Let your mind remember that's a shadow of where we're going. And in this season when the pain and the hurt and the loss and the complications and the bitterness, when it makes you, honestly, when you feel deflated, and Christmas afternoon is not what you wanted it to be, and you just want to give up, let your mind once again drift up from the situation and remember it will not always be this way. This will not last forever. This is not your true home. This is not ultimately the family you belong to. 
that Jesus is our hope through it all. Your hurts and your failures and your family's hurts and your family's failures cannot undo or deny to you the love of God. They can't. Just a couple of weeks ago, we gathered together as a congregation to celebrate uh, 38 uh, men and women getting baptized, professing their faith in Christ, new brothers and sisters for us. And what was amazing is that each time before they were baptized, we'd had each person to share just a real brief, like, hey, what is it about Jesus that makes him the most compelling, the most satisfying, the most trustworthy person that you know? And it was so incredible to have person after person, man after woman, woman after man, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, them having all these different ways of describing who God is and kind of giving this mosaic of what God is like. It was incredible. It was so inspiring to me. And, and there was one woman in particular, she was sharing her story and she, was, she didn't go into detail, but she just said that who she had been and the, her past, she just said, I could never have imagined being loved by God because I felt so ashamed of who I was. I felt so distant from him. And she described how God had sought her out and loved her. And as she's concluding her story, the last line she said, it's been in my head for two weeks. The last line she said before she was baptized, she said, because he's a welcome home kind of God. He's a welcome home kind of God. I'm in the back just like, amen, Jesus, just crying, right? Because I thought there could not be a better image for what God is like at Christmas. He's a welcome home, open arms kind of God. You have your background and your story saying it couldn't be this good, and him saying, You don't get to define who I am. I'm a welcome home kind of God. And nothing and no one can take that away. Let's pray together. Father, there are as many different stories and expectations and hopes and dreams in this room as there are individuals. And God, as, as we're thinking about what it means to be present, what it means to be kind and loving and faithful to those we love, as we're thinking about the pain and complications and hurt that this season brings, God, in all of those circumstances, God, even now, would you remind us that Jesus, you have gone through all of it before us. That in you, we don't have a counselor who's never gone through what we've gone through. You haven't read books about us, Jesus. You have lived our story before us. So you don't come to us, you didn't come to us in our brokenness and our weakness as a conquering king. Jesus, you came as a child to serve. Because, God, we have too much sin, too much complexity. so many desires and dreams. We don't know how to make all of them mesh together in this season. And so God, we want, before we even celebrate Christmas, we want to remember now that you're the one we're longing for. Spouses, friends, kids, aunts, uncles, grandparents, parents, God, all of these people, they're gifts from you. And yet God, they're not you. God, you're better than them because you never let us down. 
And you always hold us up because you're strong enough and you're good enough and you're faithful enough to do so. You never get tired of telling us we're loved by you. You never get tired of giving us approval and comfort and the control and the promises we long for. God, everyone else will fail us and it's not because they're so bad because God, we need someone as good as you. So God, before we love others, help us know what it means to be loved by you. That Christmas would be a celebration that you're good, that you keep your promises, and that no one can keep your children from coming home to you. You are our home. You're our family. Wherever you go, that's where we want to go. Wherever you are, that's where we want to be. So even if family is painful and complicated, God, we look up and say, you're our true father. You're our true sibling, Jesus. Spirit, you're our true leader. And God, every moment that is sweet and good and satisfying, every open gift and every smile, would that remind us, oh, one day, God, when you come back, it'll be 10,000 times better. That even now we would sing like people who are excited about home that is to come. Well, God, give us faith and eyes to see the greatness of your kingdom. We pray all these things in the mighty risen name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, church, let's stand, let's sing together.